Hey, this is the one-man goldmine, the one-man enterprise of professional wrestling and all entertainment, Flynn Hendricks. And you better believe when I'm looking for a good podcast to listen to, I go to my own. I go to the I Know You Hear Me podcast hosted by me, Flynn Hendricks. That is such a fresh perspective for how you should look at life, too. Like, I just, I love that. And then when I'm feeling spooky, I go to my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt, where myself, yeah. I want my head shoved inside a 15-pound silicone mask more. You know, <laughs> I want to have a bucket of sweat coming off me at the end of the night. And just Jeff. Dogs don't like eggs, <laughs> I hate you so much. Talk to other scare actors about what it takes to get into the world of scare acting. So if you're curious about how people became professional wrestlers, actors, prioritized their mental health, became entrepreneurs, avoided burnout, or got into scare acting, you need to go check out I Know You Hear Me and Tales from the Haunt, available on all podcasting platforms. And I know you hear me. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fool. The Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Vault, Vault Volume one. 1. Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Wrestling I'd like to welcome to the show Kevin the Truth Casey. Kevin, what's going on? How you doing? Good, uh, good to be here. Hope you can hear me well. I hear you perfectly fine. I'm uh, really interested in knowing a little bit about your wrestling career. I was a fan growing up all the way in Connecticut. I got some television with you on it. Quite a few different promotions, actually. So pretty excited to have you sitting here talking to me. What uh, I'm just curious, what promotions? I mean, Connecticut, I remember, I remember being on the, the old ICW. And uh, I was a huge, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the ICW, uh, I got in with the ICW through managing the billion dollar babies, Mike Sampson, GQ Stratus, Mike Sampson, now known as Iron Cross on the, still on the independent wrestling circuit. He's, he's old, he's close to my age. He's a, he's got to be around, well, I'm not 60, but he's probably in his fifties. And Mike Sampson, a lot like my good friend, King Kalua, Mike Kalua, Still performing and still, I mean, these guys look great. They look, I mean, Mike Sampson looks like he's 30 years old and he's pushing 60 and he still looks great. He's a pastor of his church in uh, St. Paul, Lebanon, Virginia, near Jimmy the Boogie Woogie Man's uh, camp. Uh, but these guys are still performing and Mike and the got me in with the ICW. And then he said, look, uh, we can wrestle, but we can't talk. So we need you to come and manage us. And that's what I did. And they, they, Got it. They saw a couple of promos and they're like, okay, we can draw with these guys. Mario Savoldi team with me says, we're, you know, we're, you guys are going to be the, the champs. And we beat uh, Tommy Dreamer by himself because uh, GQ Madison, I think, no showed the, the town that day. And so the, the babies beat uh, Tommy Dreamer by himself for the belts. We were on TV and, uh, and through Mike and the ICW. I got to meet good people like George Napolitano and Bill Apter, who then started putting us in the magazines like every month, every, all these different magazines. And all of a sudden my phone started in the old days, there was no cell phones, there was landlines and right. mail. And so I was starting to get phone calls because I was starting to get booking opportunities because people saw me because we were on uh, about 
I don't know, 70, 80% through the, the cable systems before they were like nationalized. They were like regional cable channels, like kind of like Bally's or, you know, whatever it is. But we, we were on, we had good, strong TV that went a lot of places. And I really liked to being working up in the Northeast, although at the time being based in Virginia, it was kind of a haul to drive up there. Um, I think the first time when I definitely did see you in the Savoldi's uh, with the ICW, IWCCW, that was like one of my favorite shows growing up at that time period in the early, late 80s, early 90s. And I also saw you for working with uh, South Atlantic Pro as well. We got some of the television, even though that was like very short lived. Uh, but uh, and you got to sit there and do commentary with one of my absolute favorite commentators of all time, Bob Cottle. Let me tell you something about Bob Cottle. I grew up in Virginia and growing up in the 60s and 70s and 80s, before cable, we had pro wrestling start one hour a week. Yep. And then we got Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling with, at that time, Bob Cottle and David Crockett. Then they had a second hour called Worldwide Wrestling with uh, like, uh, who was the guy? Uh, Rich Landrum, Les Thatcher. Mm -hmm. Uh, those were some of the commentators. But I tell you, I remember my first TV, we were at Pembroke, North Carolina, uh, hometown of Chris Chavis, War Eagle Chris Chavis, Tatanka to most people. Uh, and I remember you go to the production meeting. Um, they're bringing me in to be the co-host with Bob Cottle. And I can't, I'm, I'm very, every, I'm keeping everything inside. And we go through the meeting. We go out and we're commentating these matches. Bob's a professional. And then this, we did our last I think we did three or at least three hours of TV. And I remember taking my headphones off and Bob did the same thing. And I'm over, he's right next to me. And I say, Bob, I just want to say, this has been a tremendous honor. I grew up watching you on TV. You were the greatest. You were it for me. When I watched professional wrestling, I heard your voice. It was so long for now. If you ever hear me do anything, I say so long for now, because that's what Bob called it. Utmost respect. And I think, and I'm glad you, pointed that out because Bob was just and a great human being, not just a tremendous wrestling announcer. He was also a very good human being. Now he, um, I just thought that he was amazing. And at that time period, I think he had just left WCW, correct? Uh, around that time period. Um, um, I think he was, he was still, he was finished with that with WCW in 19. Yeah. I think that was 91 maybe. Yeah. And, he then went to Smoky Mountain after that. Okay. After South they, Atlantic went down, uh, he went to Smoky Mountain. Yeah. I um, I actually had no idea what happened to him. And then I came across <laughs> South Atlantic on my television. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like, this is great. Because it reminded me of the wrestling that I loved and grew you up know, with. Everything at that time period was changing and going. Um, look what WWE was doing now. Bright or At that time period, bright lights and and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, my buddy Stan Lane did some uh, TV. He was doing powerboat racing, and he was in Smoky Mountain with Bob. And then he went and got an, uh, did some uh, WWE announcing. I think Jimmy Garvin did uh, another great guy. And uh, yeah, don't but be careful when you play golf with Jimmy Garvin. But um, <laughs> you'll unhook your belt. He he did this to Tommy Young. I get I get so sidetracked on tangents. Tell keep me keep me focused here. But no, these are great stories. So we're playing golf at Crystal Springs here in, in the right of the North and South Carolina border. And so Jimmy Jam and I were playing and then we catch up. There's, there was just Tommy Young, NWA referee in front of us. And Jimmy, yeah. you know, he knows everybody. And I, I know who he was. 
And we're like, hey, let's play, you know. So we catch up. We're doing it. And every time we, he said, watch this, watch this, brother. And, and then he'd hook his golf, he'd hook the strap holding his the golf bag onto the cart. He'd pull away, there goes the bag. Oh, and, and, and Jimmy's selling it strong. Brother, I don't know, maybe you got a bad clip there. Try the other side. He does it. We did, we gimmick it and he falls. It does, we do it three times and he's like, oh, oh I can't do this. This is, I got to get another cart and he, he's gone. And he's just like, <laughs> It was amazing, but you know, to to South uh, to Smoky Mountain, Bob Caudle to me, I, it, it was a tremendous opportunity for me to be a part of that, and for Bob to come to South Atlantic. They had gone through a several. They, uh, my my buddy Frank Dusick did some commentating for a while. Uh, I think um, uh, there were some other people that that came at, at the beginning, but when we got Bob Caudle. That made us major league players. And then we started getting in uh, Ken Shamrock, or then there was Vince Torelli, uh, yep. the general troopers, uh, Helmut Hessler, who a guy I traveled with, uh, Chris Chavis, Wahoo McDaniel. There were just so many guys that came in, and Bob had the connections and he had the sway that we could attract guys to come perform in our league. They were getting paid, but they also knew that we were credible because when they opened the TV on, Bob Caudill came on, and that meant instant credibility. They had an amazing roster, and at that time, I was just like, I just couldn't figure out why they wouldn't last. But I guess you know things were changing, and from what I heard, that the the promotion lost a lot of money in just the two or three years that it wasn't around. Something like I heard was a George Scott lost something like six hundred thousand dollars. Mike Lambeth was was the sucker who got that that the the mark who had all the money, and uh, Mm -hmm. I hope he wherever he is, if he's still alive, hope he's doing well. a lot of people were were ripping him off. Uh, being, I, I love, I, I was in professional wrestling. Uh, Tommy Rose, the guy who trained me, he was trained by Randy Rose of the original Midnight Express. I got to meet people like uh, Luthez, who brought, who invited me to his dojo in Norfolk, Virginia. And then Lou and I later became, we, we did some shows together, broadcasting. And Lou said, "Look, Kevin, I know you play college sports. You're very athletic. You can do a lot of things." I think you're going to make more money being a manager and a broadcaster because you can do the things. He, he compared me, and I and I, I was flattered and humbled to this day by it. He compared me to Bobby Heenan because he said, "Look, Bobby Heenan can do all the moves that all of us can do, but he's so more, he's so much more valuable as a as a guy who can talk." He said, "You're loaded," and, and I'll never forget this. Luthez says to me, the six-time world heavyweight champion goes, "You're loaded with mental agility," and I was like, "Wow." And I, so he says, look, uh, go talk to my friend Ivan Koloff. You're moving down to Charlotte. And that's because I knew I was going to do that. He has a school down there, an Indian trail at the time. And I had started work with Ivan on some of these independent shows. And I started work more on my timing, doing more of these managerial type things and learning more of the psychology, learning how to do uh, moves, going into the ring and, and when to get involved and some of the physical aspects of doing that. So I really like the fact that that we could have gone into – with South Atlantic wrestling and knowing that we had a roster of guys like Ivan, Wahoo, uh, Chavis, and then we kept going despite the fact they were losing money. We were still drawing. The ratings were still good. But people at the beginning, Mike Lambeth got soaked by guys like uh, Paul Jones. May he rest mm-hmm. in peace. Paul was a business partner of mine, and, he, and he, he's crooked. He was. He, hopefully he changed later on. But Paul, uh, Robert Fuller, and, and others who saw this guy, Mike Lambeth, and said, oh, we, we, you need to book me, make me the booker. I'm going to bring in all my guys. I'm going to make them. I'm going to pay all these guys this money. But then Mike didn't make – he didn't see the return. He ended up losing his money. And then the league shut. After a while, he just – you know, you can't uh, 
keep losing money. And that's what happened. It was a great league. You pointed out we had a tremendous roster in town. We just had financial ir irregularities and mismanagement. At some points in the earlier days, you saw bigger crowds. And then if you watch some of those later videos, a lot of those episodes now are up on the High Spots Network. And I went through them. I think there was like a three or four hour block of them uploaded together. And some of those crowds died down in the, I don't know what, what buildings you were in. Like maybe they're like armories or such, but like some of the built, like the crowds were like a little, a lot less people than they were in say the earlier days. I can tell you, and I'm not trying to just put myself over, but uh, when I left a lot of, a lot of fans left, uh, I got an uh, opportunity to go uh, full-time with the World Wrestling Council uh, and mm -hmm. San Juan with uh, Victor Jovica and Carlos Colon. I was offered a whole lot more money than South Atlantic was paying me. And I, I went to the, the, the booker. Uh, Manny Fernandez brought me in. Uh, I have nothing but professional, and I mean, I'm stressing this, professional, not personal, professional respect for Manny Fernandez. He helped me, got, did a lot of great things for me. He became involved booking and doing a lot of things. Then he had some type of fallout. Then a guy named Greg Price comes on board and we, we had heat and I'm not here to bury him. He, he and I have heat to this day. We tried to work together. Yeah. Uh, he wanted to lowball me money wise. And so I left, I went to, I, I had opportunities. I was a performer. I, I was good at what I did. I had opportunities and he didn't want to pay me. And so I left and we tried, we reconnected in the, 10 years later or so when I'm working in the media now and I tried to say he was trying to do some internet stuff with the, I think it's now the, I don't know what they call it. The gathering in, in Charlotte at the, the hotel where they have a lot of the legends get together. Yeah. So the mid Atlantic I'm, fan fest. Or yeah, something. I, I, yeah. I think I'm blackballed because I got heat with Greg price. Cause uh, he booked me to do a, a, to do like a webcast back. You know, this has got to be you know 20 years ago. And then he, it was around the Thanksgiving weekend. And then he cancels me when I, when I'm on the road, was visiting family. And I thought it was very unprofessional. And uh, I, I just, I let him have it. I said, I can't, uh, dude, you, this is unprofessional. I didn't like him to begin with from wrestling. And now he's going to, you know, I think can't, I thought was being unprofessional in terms of canceling my booking uh, at, at, at a late stage. I want to be fair to him. That's my side of the story. Uh, he's entitled to his. That's my recollection of it. Uh, I know he does a lot of things and a lot of, a lot of guys, he still books and uses them and they speak uh, a lot more highly of him than I do. I know that my good friend, Abe Jacobs, still alive, 90 some years old, still living in Charlotte, having some health issues. He and his wife, Evelyn Jacobs, good friends of mine. He called, uh, Abe was working at, uh, I don't think he was still at Steamboat's gym. He was at uh, another gym, Money Mike's gym. Okay. Greg called him and said, hey, I want you to come to FanFest. You know, I'm gonna pay you, you know, whatever it was. And, and Abe's like, this is like uh, probably 15 years ago. And Abe played, I played in so many celebrity golf tournaments with Abe. And Abe's like, I don't know about that. He goes, well, and, and, and here's what uh, Abe told me this. And I will go to the, I'll go to the mat for Abe. He, he said, Greg told him, he says, look, where else are you going to go on a Saturday afternoon and make this kind of money? And, and Abe told me, he says, look, he told Greg, he said, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, what do you, how do you know what I do? You don't know what I do. How do you know what I'm making? And what I want. Uh, and just for that, I don't want to work with you. And that's not enough money because what Abe was doing, he was gambling, playing golf. He was hustling guys playing golf. Right. And that was not what he was making. He, Abe was making three times that at the time. So if they, they, he, Abe was hoping to negotiate and the guy didn't want to do it. So whatever, that, that's my story with Greg Price. He's still friends with a lot of my friends. 
and more power to them. And I, and I don't wish him any will. We have individual heat. It could all be worked out. Money talks and the rest walks. I've heard uh, some not so positive things about him in the past, Greg Price. I was going to ask you about him. Um, I did not have necessarily a great interaction, but what I'm doing is probably way smaller than that. Uh, you know, just he takes his time when he uh, on his website to ship stuff and, you know, a very long time at times. So, like I said, that's probably one of the smaller things that uh, a lot of people do have to say about him. You brought up a name that I, I want to ask you about. Uh the guy is, uh, to me, a legend in the sport as well, Frank Dusick. How was he to work with? Uh, Frank was good friends with Paul, and Frank would come into Paul Jones Auto uh, on Old Pineville Road in Charlotte. And uh, like I said, I was a part, a small part owner of that auto business, and Frank would always come in and talk to Paul. And I'd talk, hey, Frank, how you doing, brother? You know, I would help him out. And then, but the, he was mainly his interactions were more with Paul, but he was like, you know, he said, look, you're one of the boys. I respect you. And uh, he was a solid hand. He was a very, he was very uh, big in Portland. My buddy, John Rambo and uh, Brad Anderson, Ricky Santana, Fidel Sierra. Those were all guys who were real big in Portland. And they all said he was a, uh, a good dude, good guy, good hand as the, the expression is. He's a good hand right. to have in the promotion. That's cool. I remember watching him for a very long time in uh, world class, especially in the what the last couple of years where he was uh, a big baby face. Um, I guess you could say matchmaker or what have you in the in that storyline. Um, so I never got to ask you, though, uh, I, before we go forward with uh, the rest of this stuff, how did you become a fan and what got you interested in being a part of the business? Well, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. We had the yeah. Richmond Arena, Parker Field, and the Rich, later the Richmond Coliseum. And I remember watching, you know, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling on WTVR TV6 in Richmond, where I later worked as, as a, in college, um, starting my media career. And uh, I remember seeing wrestling. I was like, man, I love wrestling. I said, yeah. I used to tell my dad, I said, hey, Pop, uh, take me to wrestling. Ah, wrestling, man. My dad, you know, my dad played college football and my brother played college baseball. I played college sports. My, my son played college sports. It's a, it was all about that. And I was like, no, I want to go. So he, he takes me reluctantly. My first card at the, it was at the, the old Richmond arena. The main event was uh, Jack Briscoe defending the, the NWA world heavyweight title, two out of three falls versus ironically, Paul Jones. But I remember guys like Abe Jacobs, Danny Miller. Uh, those guys were all on the show. It was just, you know, just and I was just like I was in awe. I was just you know, at the time I didn't understand. It was a rinky dink. It was a rundown building. It was still had about seven or eight thousand, and it was full. And I was like, I love it. And so we watched wrestling. And we had like me and my best friend. We were just like yeah, we we did wrestling in his basement. We were like had, a, had an old mattress and stuff. We we practiced the wrestling moves that they tell you not to do. But we all also amateur wrestling. You know, so we were yeah. all into wrestling. And then, you know, I. I we were going through our lives and I would go to college. I'm playing ball and my best friend comes back. Uh, the Punisher, Tommy Rose, as he's known. when He, okay. he says, dude, I think you, you, you could do this. And he went down he got trained by Randy Rose. And he worked continental uh, Texas, all-star wrestling. A lot of these, uh, the Southwest championship wrestling, he worked a lot of territories. He came back at a, a Cadillac. He had money. I was like, man, what's up? He says, no, oh, you can make this. He says, he says, what do you mean? I said, look, you're taking, you're in mass communications. I think you can go. Are they going to let you go on TV right away as a student? No. He said, come to wrestling. I'll get you on TV. I was like, okay. 
So we go down to uh, my first match was in Lawrenceville, Georgia, at the National Guard Army in Lawrenceville, Georgia. I think it was Georgia All-Star Wrestling. Okay. Bill Newman was the promoter. And I remember managing my friend who later became the Punisher, Tommy Rose. He did a Russian gimmick called Dmitry Molotov. And, you know, I'm a rookie. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm talking. And I, but I kind of know, even though, and, I, and I, if I, I would shudder to even watch myself back then, thinking how awful I was, what a jabroni I was. But at the time, I got a lot of heat. And, and next thing you know, next show, more people. Until then we moved up, we're after main we're after intermission. And then we we they give us an angle and we take it and boom, next show's a sellout. Also, we're drawing. And so then we start getting booked to, hey, can you guys come into town? We want you to run by this radio station or that TV station or whatever, call in or do whatever. And so I remember we went, we go to these radio stations and I and I would stir up so much crap. I would cause so I would get and I'm just not putting myself over. I got legit heat. I got so much heat. I, I had to, and I was using a, a girlfriend at the time. I was using her car because, you know, mine wouldn't make it. But uh, I remember having to park my car. I remember we were in America's Georgia. I remember having to park my car in the armory because there were people <laughs> wanting to throw and beat and slash tires. And, and I was like, man, I got to get home. Uh, I, you know, I don't got to. I mean, we had the Oates Brothers, Tommy Rich, uh, Terrible Ted, the Wrestling Bear, we, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dale Veazey, Bambi, we had we had a big. I mean, these were the cards that they were having in Georgia. These independents at the time, but I was getting heat. I was drawn. I was me and my guy were main event everywhere we went, and that's how I got in. And then from there, leagues in North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, uh, Pennsylvania, they all started popping up, and I started meeting all these different people and promoters, and they started to like me, and so I ended up uh, getting kept getting booked and. I remember going, being in college full time, and then I said I'm gonna go pro because I was taking money as a professional, and I and I really was dis disenchanted with the uh, my uh, athletic college athletics at the time because a guy on the basketball team was taking the same class as I was, got a got a degree in the same same degree as I did. He was not in any of my classes, but yet they were gonna bust me down to say, if you miss any classes, it's letter grades. And I was like, man, and I was going to work at TV. So I was working at channel six in Richmond and they're telling me, I can't, we, you need, we need, uh, you need us to teach you how to work at that TV station. I said, no, what I need to do is be at that TV station and work. Not you who are not in TV telling me how to do it. So I was kind of balancing wrestling versus my career. And I said, you know, when I graduated, I was working almost every weekend in wrestling and all this in summers and vacations. And I said, look at the time, no, 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 no wife, no kids. I'm going to go for it. And I went full time and I was doing very well because I was, I was getting booked in a lot of places. And then, you know, think fate happened and intervened and uh, uh, family issues intervened. And I, uh, I got out of professional wrestling and worked in the media, radio, TV and podcasting ever since. Hope that answers your question. Very long winded yeah. and rambling, but still, that's how I got into wrestling. That's how I got out of it. Um, so let me ask you, how did the golf club come into play. I know you said that now you play golf, but did you play then? Is that where, where it came in or um, a little bit? And I, and I, I don't know if this is going to offend you in any way, but for, when I saw you back in the day, you kind of reminded me of Jim Cornette in a way. And I thought that maybe that kind of played into it a little bit. Were you influenced um, by him at all? Well, yes and no. Uh, the golf club had nothing to do with Jim Cornette. I watched mm -hmm. Jim Cornette at, at, before I got in the business. 
And then mm-hmm. as I got in the business, and ironically, I've never met him. Right. I know I know so many people that know him, but I've never met him. I have the utmost respect. I've heard a lot of stories about Cornette and his uh, preferences and proclivities that I don't want to really delve into, but I've heard them from numerous people independent of each other. So I know it's not a word. Uh, so it's not just those stories we heard a couple of years ago when the, that came out? I don't know what you heard, but I know what Paul Jones and, and the Nasty Boys and a lot of other guys told me about okay. what was going on. But I watched Jim Cornette, and he was really – he was, to me, one of the greatest managers of all time. He had yeah. great he, he had great promos. He had tremendous timing. Athletically, he wasn't a very athletic guy, but he always was in the right place. And I felt bad for him when he did that uh, scaffold match because I think they put him in a bad position to do that. But he was really uh, a guy you looked up to at that era. For me, Bobby Heenan was always the guy. Mm-hmm. He's all, he was number one. And Cornette was still – he was on uh, WCW. He was on uh, Smoky Mountain. He was – and then he later went to WWE. And so he was still the measuring stick. The golf club came. Uh, my buddy Mike Sampson, we were down – he was still asked Mike Sampson. And I was managing my buddy, uh, the Punisher, Tommy Rose – and I was like, you, because I'd done a couple of things. He says, I think this will work. And so we came, I said, okay. And then we used it in the match and it, it worked. It got over. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing that from now on. And I never won another match without it. That's awesome. Uh, let me ask you about, I know that you guys, you were there when uh, the Bobby and Jackie Fulton were there, right? Correct? In South Atlantic Pro? Uh, yeah, Jackie uh, lives right here in my in, in Kannapolis, North Carolina. He lives uh, probably a couple miles from me. Great guy. I love Jackie. Played college football. Tremendous athlete. Uh, not only was he Jackie Fulton, he was the Eagle in all Japan pro wrestling. Uh, his brother is Bobby Fulton. Bobby doesn't like me. We got heat. As he said, <laughs> I buried him. Bobby said I buried him on TV at South Atlantic. I never meant to. The office told me to put heat on him, which I did. He thought I crossed the line. I don't think so. He's entitled to his opinion. He's not in great health, and I wish Bobby, even though he hates me and we got heat, I still wish him good health, and I hope he can overcome this. Uh, and, and He's a tremendous professional. He was one of the best workers of all time, and I don't say that about a lot of people, especially for somebody I really don't like or doesn't like me, actually. Bobby Fulton, I remember being in a lot of matches. I managed different tag teams throughout the years, but I remember Bobby and Tommy Rogers even when I was in the Virginia yeah. Wrestling Association managing uh, a team. And I remember being in the back, we're talking things and Bobby was so serious. I mean, the, how everything, everything had to work, had to be legit. It could not be, it had to be no question. Everything had to be legitimate. The timing had to be perfect. It had to look good. Bobby was a stickler. He was a perfectionist and I respect him for that. Uh, I didn't like that. He called me up one afternoon and said I was burying him on TV but I understand his perspective. He was a he was a perfectionist. He just wanted the product to look great, and I wish him nothing but the best. Bobby and Jackie, a good friend of mine. Bobby, you know, doesn't really like me, but I still wish him good well. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope so because he he uh, he doesn't look like the Bobby Fulton that I grew up with, and I feel really awful that he you know he does not look healthy at all. No, I, I wish him well. Tremendous mind for the business. A guy like Bobby Fulton, this is before his health issues, a guy like him would have been an invaluable asset 
to a company like World Championship Wrestling, AEW, WWE, as a trainer, a guy in the back helping with finishes, talking to guys, psychology. Kind of, and, and I still don't understand. Uh, Ricky Morton is probably the greatest guy I was I've ever talked to, being in the back, being in a lot of matches with Ricky, and then later I did I, I came back and did some TV stuff with a couple of other leagues, and they bring him in and we talk. And I remember telling the guys, I said, guys, I don't know who, half of you guys, but that's Ricky Morton. I know you all know who he is, but y'all need to listen to him. Be quiet. This guy knows more than all of us will ever know. Because that yeah. like Bobby, Ricky Morton, those guys have been been through it all, seen it all, know it all, and they can help these companies. And I think guys from my era are now working behind the scenes as agents. I think uh, Steve Regal, uh, Road Dog, those guys are still involved somewhere, somehow. Yeah. And I think Ricky is, uh, he's still involved in the NWA today and, you know, his son. And I think that he does help out a lot while he's there, you know, on the shows that he's there. He's a, I think he's a very, like an asset to, to the, the company today. And, and I know he and Robert did some things with Ring of Honor with the, yep. the Briscoe brothers. Yeah. Is that who they are? And yeah. I apologize for not keeping up with a lot of the main stuff going on these days. You know, my son got, uh, he's, you know, he's 28 years old. And he started watching TV and he's like, dad, I really not. I know you do. He, I, I never really talked about my wrestling career. I never did. Right. I never brought it up. I hardly did anything. A lot of my people, my friends don't even know. Cause I kept it quiet. I was like, okay, that was a different life. You know, if it comes up, it comes up. My son's like, I don't really like that. But my son got into karate, jujitsu and Muay Thai and started fighting in tournaments and stuff. So he was really into that. But I, I still have a lot of, a lot of friends. He went with me when I was doing these announcing jobs. And he got to meet, you know, Buff and Ricky Morton and Barbarian and all, a lot of my friends. And it's like, you know, I, I you know, he, he liked that aspect traveling with me when I'm getting put over. But he didn't want to do it He because he didn't really like amateur wrestling because he liked jujitsu a lot better. Because he, 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 he hated the fact that if he was on his back, somebody could beat him because nobody right. could. He, he was yeah. a guy who could fight off his back. He could hook your arm or give you an ankle lock, key lock or whatever, guillotine you and put you out. But he never liked amateur rally. Even though he did it, he didn't like it. So I, that's why I say guys like Ricky Morton, Bobby Ford are good assets to have in your company, to have guys who have been around it, have been to all the top offices in Japan and America and Europe. A guy like that who has infinite knowledge, some of these young guys show it. It's, it's an old adage. You show up, put your bag down, Introduce yourself, be a professional, sit down, be quiet, don't run your mouth. That's really how it used to be when you first broke into the business. I do some work with the uh, local independents here, whether I'm working a camera or whether I'm doing commentary. And it's just the the whole thing is just show your respect to everybody that walks through that door as far as you're through that locker room. You know what I mean? I've made a lot of really great friends in, in the, that are involved up here because of that. There, there's a lot of good talent up in uh, the Northeast. I remember when we were in the ICW, we ran uh, New Hampshire and uh, what were some of those towns? Wolfboro and uh, Lake, what was it Lake something? Lake, uh, New Hampshire, there was like Manchester. There was uh, Lake Winnipesaukee. Yeah. Yep. Something yep. like that. And we did Maine, Presque Isle, Auburn, Holton, all these little towns. Uh, Watertown, New York. We, you know, we did uh, – we did Yonkers, Tommy Dreamer's hometown. Uh, we I used to stay at his parents' house. Uh, we do Staten Island, Brooklyn, and you know I love the Northeast uh, to visit. I'm a Southerner. It's too cold for me up there, man. I wear shorts year round. 
Yeah. And so uh, I, I like the independent scene now, and and I hope you guys are drawn in your league. I am available uh, for play-by-play or color commentating for a nominal booking fee in trans. Uh, I could love to love to help you promotion out and help get your guys over. There's a lot of great, uh, a lot of great uh, promotions up here in Connecticut. I think there's at least like what six to seven promotions that are running every. There's shows every weekend, literally. Has there been any? And I don't know who these promoters are, but I know promoters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they all want to. Th- they all think they're Vince McMahon. Not everyone, but most <laughs> of them do. But there was always the knock around the, around here. There's so many different promoters in, in the Charlotte area. I moved here to Charlotte because that was once the hub of Mid Atlantic Wrestling. So right. I remember. Wahoo McDaniel telling me one day when I show, he said, look, uh, I think you could make, I think you can get more bookings if you move down to Charlotte. He said, if you want, uh, you, if you can get, a, if you can get booked down here, you can stay with me at my place till you get going and then you can get your own place. And I was like, wow, <laughs> Wahoo McDaniel. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. And I ended up getting, getting all the South Atlantic and I came down here and Wahoo put me over and got me in. And then I stayed with his house at his, at his place. till I got in with, my buddies like uh, you know Gene Lydic, Tommy Angel, Jackie Fulton. We all we called it the Rhino Ranch, where all the boys used to hang out. And we had a place or or two. Uh, a lot of times there were you know some girls who helped out uh, facilitating uh, a lot of the uh, the rents yeah. and, and a lot of the other uh, intangibles that uh, we 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 stayed together. A lot of the boys, guys were in Japan, Puerto Rico, Europe, or wherever, and we always had a base to go to in the Charlotte area. So it was a, it was a great uh, situation. But everybody used to say, why can't you local promoters get together and go get uh, at least be a strong regional promotion? And here you are in Connecticut, the home office of WWE, that uh, I think a lot of guys who can do some of these independents could maybe say, okay, Connecticut, that's right near the WWE. If I can get it, if I can do well in this league, maybe I'll get noticed. Because I know uh, the Mario Savoldi, he he worked a lot with Vince McMahon Senior about guys who were coming off TV. They wanted him to go to Memphis or go to Japan or whatever because they want to come back in a different gimmick or whatever. He'd lend them out to Mario, and that's why we had Tony Atlas, the Putskies, you know, uh, and those guys because we had good good availability to talent in the Northeast. I think uh, also with the Savoldis, they would lease guys out even into like their, their, their uh, dying days, you know, guys like Santana would go there and, and I think Doink might've went there guys like that. You know what I mean? They would work with uh, Tito. Yeah. You work with Tito. I, I work with Tito. What a great guy. Yeah. Great guy. He's I've a, met him on uh, numerous occasions up here. Yeah. A teacher, uh smart yeah. guy, played football, at West Texas state, played good, went to camp with Kansas city, played in the Canadian football league, tremendous athlete, great guy in the back. Uh, spoke clearly, told mm-hmm. you what, what he wanted, what would get over. And, you know, I'm just – I'm listening to these guys. These are veterans, and I'm listening. And I'm like – and they – they every and every chance I got, I'd say, well, what about this? What about this? And they'd listen to me. Respectfully, I'd ask questions. And meeting guys like that from the Savoldis, I work with the, with the Bushwhackers, with, with Tito, with the Putskies, and I'm just trying to remember. Uh, Kevin Von Erich, who uh, I knew from the, the WCCW when we merged. Right. And I later worked with Kevin down in uh, – with the World Wrestling Council. Uh, told him how we knew each other from back then, and, and that was uh, really cool. In fact, l- being around guys like the, the Whackers and Tito and Blackjack and Wahoo and Ivan, Lute, all these guys that I was been around and just listened to. I remember my first night, <clears throat> Three Kings Day was our first show, my first show for Carlos. Uh, I remember they had me managing the Warlord against Carlos Colon for the Universal title, and we're trying to go over uh, the finish and I go, 
well, why don't we do this? And I remember I called the finish my first night in the territory, on an, esta- an established territory with Carlos Colon's a legend. He's Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's his company, him Victor's company. And I called the finish and it worked and it got over. And I was like, I, and, I, and from that point forward, I mean, they brought me in, but they, but they gave me more latitude about how to do it. And, and they got over much to the chagrin of Los Heartbreakers, the Heartbreakers, Wendell Cooley and Frank Lancaster, who I did not agree with, get along with. They didn't want me as a manager. They thought they could talk. Well, they could talk great. But the bottom line is the office felt that they couldn't. They put me with them because they couldn't. But they didn't like it. We didn't get along. We didn't stay together. But I loved managing the Rochester Roadblock at the time and Warlord and whoever they put me with. Were you there during the merger, the IWCCW merger with, you know, when they merged? Yeah, I remember we were in ICW first. And I remember we went up to TV. It was in a winter. My first time with them was in in the summer with with the Billion Dollar Babies. And, you know, they liked how I cut promos and they, they put the belts on us. And, you know, they were basically, you'd show up once, one weekend a month and they taped yeah. everything. Yep. So we did that and got in the magazines and all that. And I remember we heard, uh, we got up there, we were in the old, uh, what was it? The uh, Cutcher's Lounge, yes. Cutcher's Resort in Monticello, Middletown, New York, a Jewish resort. You got breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I got a lot of stories from there. I was with my buddy Rasta, the Voodoo Mon. Rick or, you know, he's now in Hollywood. He was in, he's in any given Sunday. He's a really accomplished actor doing stand-up comedy now. And I remember we were at this place and I remember hearing, okay, well, uh, what's going on? Well, they're merging with world-class. I said, who is ICW? Yeah. We're not going to be IWCCW. And I went, we're going to get any more money. And nobody (laughs) could answer that because the answer was no. But I remember meeting Kevin Von Erich there that day. And I laid. I worked. I was on a show down in uh, North Wilkesboro at the Speedway with Kerry in '93, I think. And uh, and I remember telling Kerry, "Hey, I met your brother earlier, and all this other stuff." And but yeah, that merger thing, it was in theory, it was going to be great because ICW had pretty good TV and yes. World Class had ESPN at the time. In theory, it was going to work, but theories didn't translate into reality. I spoke to Kevin about two years ago. Uh, and he said that he never saw a dime. He went in, did four matches and one taping, and then just never got paid for anything. Never saw a dime for the merger as well. Well, uh, you think the son of a promoter would know better. That's my first reaction. I wasn't there. Uh, I'm not going to disparage Mario and his group for saying, and I wasn't there. I don't know about Kevin and his business dealings. I saw him there at that at that first IWCCW taping at Cutcher's, and he was professional. I don't know if I worked with him that day or not. I think we did. I think I was the, the I think I was doing a single with him. I was with Roadblock or uh, okay. somebody else, but uh, he was professional. I didn't know he didn't get paid. Sorry for him, but he's yeah. he's kind of a promoter. He he knows better, and I don't know the particulars. I would defer to Mario Savoldi. I, I have respect and trust for Mario. Uh, so I would defer to how his his version of events versus anyone else's. I've been trying to get Mario on this show, by the way, and it's just uh, it's been too long. So I've been it's been months and months. So I'm still working on it. You tell Mario, I said I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll send I'll, I'll send King Kalu up there to stretch his ass. You know, <laughs> he doesn't go and come on the show. And, he, and you, make- you need to get King Kalua and my buddies Tom Brandy uh, 
and Kahlua and all, all my Northeast. And here's a guy, I'm serious about this, dead serious about this. My very good friend, John Rambo, has had, he was a big star in Pacific Northwest. He, he took over the NWL House of Pain Pro Wrestling Federation. He was in Memphis. He was trained by Rocky Johnson. John Rambo has undergone some health concerns in the last few months. He's battling. He's fighting back. He's coming back. He's he he's healthy. I think he's home from the hospital. I think he had Mick Foley, who's another one of our mutual friends. Got to tell you a good story about that. But Mick tweeted out on Monday night during Monday Night Raw, hey, uh, some help, like a GoFundMe for John Rambo. So that that's the kind of guy. That's a guy I would love for you to have on your show, John Rambo. I don't. I think I have his number. I could give it to you off the air and oh, I'd clear it with him first. And uh, I, I think it would, he's a guy who has a tremendous story. And I'm trying to, here I am in North Carolina, trying to book whatever the league King Kalua is the champion. Uh, he needs to, John Rambo can do like the, the comeback, coming back mm -hmm. from health problems. He's in the gym, he's coming back and he's coming back with all you. And then and it's a great story and it's great potential. Maybe you, your league could do it. Have John Rambo and King Kalua, these or whoever, uh, Tom Brandy come in. These guys, John Rambo is a guy, tremendous performer, good teacher, and I would love to see him come back. Have, uh, he's trying, believe me. He, he's an old old school Pennsylvania guy. I think he wrestled and played. Football. I remember him. Yeah, I remember he him. Football and wrestled at Lehigh or Lafayette. Real hard school, hard scrabble, real tough dude. Real life, real tough dude. And I would love to see him on your show. And I'd like to see him uh, maybe to have a comeback match. Is he on social media? Yep. He's John Rambo on Facebook. And you okay. tell him, I, tell him I put him over to you. Great guy. I could, I'll send him a message. Uh, just a super dude. And yeah. you know, I, I'll never forget. We were the, in the Dick Caracos old NWL. I remember I was managing Cactus Jack against the Cheetah Kid at the time. Falls County. County. It was most bizarre. I don't know why I was involved. But they had me. I went because I just came out and did a promo. And I remember Cactus Mick Foley, he goes, You really don't need to do anything. Let us go. Stay close to the ring. We'll, you'll know when it's time. Just talk. I went, no problem. And they went to the roof, the ceiling. They went out in the parking lot. And by the time they came back near the ring, we had our finish. And I'll never forget. After, and I managed. I think uh, Neil Superior, the late Neil Superior, my good, my late friend, son of Dick Caracol, he passed on, unfortunately, in the 90s. I think he was wrestling uh, as some uh, mass gimmick and he had Bam Bam Bigelow in. And uh, Bam was super dude. And uh, I remember we, we did our match. We let main event or whatever. We come back and uh, we're in the back. And this kid comes in with a tray of drinks for the boys. And he comes in, he's like, and there's Neil Superior, there's Bam Bam, there's 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 there's, there's Cactus, there, there's all the guys. There's no separate locker rooms, one locker room. And Bam Bam looks around, he's like, he's exasperated because no one's watching the door. I mean, seriously, then that was that to me, it's still a big deal. It was yeah. a huge deal to me then because Luthez really stressed it to me about how it, it was really important. Carlos would fire us if we rode in the wrong car. And we, yeah. you, you just couldn't do the certain things in that era. And I remember we got kid walks in. It's like, and Bam's like looking, who's at the, all right, kids, some work. You know, hey, we're friends, work. What do you want to know? And I was like, and I was like, oh my God. I'm like, come on, man. We don't need to go there. But I'll never forget that. 
Uh, I'm going to bring up a couple of talents in South Atlantic that uh, I got some questions about. Tell me about the German troopers. It's Helmut Hessler and I believe Hans Schmidt, right? That's Chuck Coates. Yep. Good friend of mine. Both of them. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Smith, a very good friend of mine. He lives in, uh, owns Rhino Demolition and Environmental Services out of Myrtle Beach. His son, Jake Smith, uh, wrestled at NC State. He now runs the business for Chuck Smith. He has a house at the lake, Lake Lure, and that, that, that runs with plantation near the coast and, and near Sunset Beach, North Carolina. Chuck Coates works for a ministry out of Durham, his hometown. He wrestled at NC State. Chuck is a very uh, a religious guy now. We, he's, yes. Mr., he's Mr. NC State. Mr. He's NC State everywhere. He, he, he wrestled there, but that he goes been everywhere. He goes to all the football, wrestling, girls, volleyball, whatever. And Chuck is still, uh, for the most part, self-taught in the wrestling business. But he still had influences from Nelson Royal, Gene Anderson, and some of those guys of, of our generation because Colt Steele, Ricky Nelson, uh, David Isley, Tommy Angel, uh, uh, Bob Blackburn, American GI. We're, those are all, most of these guys were trained by Nelson Royal and Gene Anderson in this area. And it was, uh, and Chuck had some influences with them. Chuck Smith was trained by Ivan Koloff. And they, when I first got to South Atlantic, I was just the TV, the co-host. Mm-hmm. But I was like, how many times am I booked every TV? I said, I want to work house shows because I want more money. It was like, well, you need to manage someone. I said, well, I want to manage those guys because they were the top, they were the top guys. I said, I want to manage them. They said, okay, because they, they went through a couple managers. They were all clowns, if you ask me. And I would tell them all they were clowns. They weren't me. And we started we, – they put us together, and, man, we started selling out. We started drawing because we had good feuds with whoever they put us with. Chuck Coates was a hell of a wrestler, hell of a wrestler. I mean, yeah. he, could do, he did all the bumping and flying around. You did nothing he couldn't do. And then Chuck Smith was your strong guy. He looked, he was big, he was massive, he was ex-Special Forces, paratrooper, and he did all our power stuff, us, the, the slams, and and we were. I thought we were a very good team at the time. You went to uh, the UWF with Helmut Hessler too. Yeah, and 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 we Chuck got a, a couple WW WCW dark matches, and okay. I remember being with him on a couple of occasions. He had the talent and ability. But uh, that was, I think, Bill Watts era, and but it, it just didn't work out. And Chuck was kind of, kind of getting dismayed. He he realized he ended up buying into a business and taking it over, and now he's a multimillionaire. So I think he did wow. the right thing. Well, um, I do want to ask you about the tag team of TNT, Tommy Angel, and obviously Tommy Seabolt, who recently passed in the last few months. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Angel is one of my very close friends. We're Rhino brothers. Uh, we're a good uh, group of guys, Keith Gardner, uh, Gene Lydic, uh, Tommy Angel, Rusty Riddle, Chuck Smith, myself. Uh, TNT was a great tag team. And Tommy Angel literally was one of the best performers I've ever been around. Uh, he could train by Nelson Royal and Gene Anderson. He could literally do it all. And, it was a, and he was actually a very underrated talker. He became Tommy Lee on 99.7 WRFX, The Fox. Yeah. And he became promotions director for iHeartMedia Charlotte. He now works for Anheuser-Busch in Greenville, South Carolina. But Tommy Angel, tremendous performer. And Tommy Seabolt, just cut, abbed out, tremendous ability, good talker. He could do a lot of moves. Uh, I, they were just a good team. They were a good team that we could play off of, but – Tommy Seabolt got a little bit disenchanted with some of the payoffs. I don't blame him for that. And, uh, and, I, and the same source of mine were the source of his. 
he finally just had enough, and he just he walked. But Tommy Seabolt and Tommy Angel were a very good team. They could have gone to any promotion and and had and, and had a good run as either tag champs or number one contenders. Um, to go back backtrack to the last question. While you were in UWF, did you have any interactions with Herb Abrams? I know there's a oh, yeah. lot of crazy stories out there about Herb. Yeah, man. Uh, Herb and Lenny Duke, I think was his name, his number yes. one. Um, they uh, just, I'll just, they ran there. They just, well, Herb, oh, well, we need to get you in. We need to fly you out here, do this, do that. Do that. I was like, okay, show me the money. I just need the money. Oh, yeah, we got, they booked us, they gave us a suite. And I was like, okay, it's cool. We're great. We did TV. We're going to do this and that. And, but you've probably seen Dark Side of the Ring or whatever. Absolutely. Herb, Herb was a coke addict, man. And yep. he, it was all about the cocaine, man. And, and he had, he had uh, the groupies and, and, and he, they had a good setup. And it was like, it was, it was crazy. I think it was Craig DeGeorge and John Torres on TV. Because yep. Craig did, Craig did uh, we were doing TV for the NWL and the, the, the Mar- we were in Maryland together, so uh, the NWL, Dick Karakoff's League, or the MECW, or the, whatever the league was in Maryland, uh, mm-hmm. the UIW. How can I forget that? I, I was did a good a lot of good angles with the UIW, but uh, Craig was there. But Coach John, Coach John Tolos, the Golden Greek. See, he put me over because I knew who he was. A lot of these young guys didn't even know. I said, "Y'all know who that is? That's John Tolos, the Golden Greek man." I mean, y'all y'all not y'all not know anything about wrestling around here. I, and I got a lot of heat because I knew wrestling. So I read the magazines. I knew who was in WWF, who was AWA, who was everywhere. So John put us over real strong on the TV. Uh, there were guys in the back. Uh, like Barry Horowitz. Met Barry Horowitz there. Super guy. Tremendous okay. tremendous yeah. wrestler. So the UWF, with everything you heard, all the stories you think are absolutely crazy and insane and not true, they actually are. Barry, you mentioned Barry. Barry was actually like probably my first or second guest on this program. And he was, I mean, I got to tell you, I could probably go on for another couple hours just talking how great Barry was in his career. Like he had some great, great stories, especially like in his earliest days before even making it to WWF. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there's so many guys at uh, Fidel Sierra, uh, guys who were everywhere. They, they go back to Mid-Atlantic or they go to Pacific Northwest, they go to Memphis, they go to Continental, they go to uh, Championship Wrestling to Florida, AWA, whatever. There's so many guys. And Barry Horowitz is one. These guys paid their dues in the old school, the old way, the real way. And Horowitz, tremendous talent. He could do, you know, guys, you know, he was a, what do they call him now, enhancement talent. But here was a guy that they could have done something with because he could, same for guys like Tommy Angel. These are all guys that had tremendous talent, more talent than as what did uh, Bobby Heenan say? He didn't know, or Gorilla Monsoon would say he didn't know a wrist lock from a wristwatch. And some right. of these guys, they got on the gas, they looked great, they got blown up, they couldn't work, but yet our guys or some young guys are, are running circles around them, but they're not getting pushed by the promotion. And Barry was a guy that should have been given more of an opportunity, but he was tremendous in what he did. Yeah, uh, amazing, amazing wrestler. Like, seriously, great wrestler. Um, I've got a, a couple other questions before we wrap it up. Um, you went to the Bahamas with the Savoldis. Oh, yeah. You worked, you worked with Abdullah the Butcher. Tell me what that was like. Uh, I'll never forget. Uh, Mike says, uh, I remember Mario saying, hey, we're going to start running uh, Nassau every month. 
you need to be in uh, Newark. We're going to fly to Newark. I said, uh, Kevin, will you get on the train? Uh, we'll, we'll give you trans. I said, okay, it's an easy train ride from Richmond to Newark at the time. Get on there, show up. Uh, we, we all go. And little Louie, one of the midgets, love, yep. love little Louie. He knew the girl at the front desk, and he was giving her the business. Uh, and we got discounts, and, and actually we were getting put over, uh, you know, the, the lot, a lot of ways. And we used to go to the Bahamas, and I remember we, we I remember the first night we're there, first day we're there, we fly and we'd work somewhere Friday night, and we get to the to Newark Saturday morning. We're flying out, literally the crack of dawn. We're all hungover, just no sleep, sleep on the plane. Get there, check in our rooms. I'm like, dude, okay, I'm in the Bahamas. Beautiful. I was like, all right, I'm going to walk around. What do we got to do? What's the schedule? What's the, we'll Find our schedule. What do we got to do? We got interviews. We got this. Then you're on your own. Great. Then we got the, the van comes to the, to the hotel, takes us to the arena, to the stadium. It was Nassau Stadium. And I remember uh, we did all that. And then uh, I'm like, uh, okay, I'm with the babies. We're walking around. We finished our interviews. We walk in. There's the, we go into the bar. And, there's, and, and Mike doesn't drink. Mike is very religious, doesn't drink. But we just walked in. Ab- Abdul is there, well-dressed. And he says, ah, kid, come here. I was like, God, come here. Uh, give me a drink. I was like, no, I don't drink. I don't drink before. Breath. I don't drink. No, you're drinking. No, I, Mike doesn't. And, 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 and so they left. And I'm like, well, sit down. That's Abdul the Butcher. Sit down. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, give him a drink. Give him a rum. And it's like, next thing you know, I'm, I'm like, I said, Abby, sir, I, I, I'm not comfortable. I, I don't want to, I don't perform like this. I don't drink for shows. And I'm like, okay. So I got out of there and I remember we did our thing. I remember I went you know, swimming and then we got ready. We go to the show and we go to perform. And they said, uh, yeah, you're managing Abdullah against Dory Funk Jr. It's like, okay. I don't see any of these guys. I mean, I, I, you tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. I don't need, I don't need to be in the back with anybody. We, he, he and Abby get in the ring and we're all still in the ring before they even ring the bell. He does something to do it to, to uh, Abby. And he, I come up because I, and next thing you know, he grabs me, gives me the gimmick and he come and, and over the top rope. I go, that's it for that match. I, they didn't need me for anything else. Good. I remember, I remember working with the babies. I forget who we worked that night. And I remember they said, look, we're short a guy. Can you go under a hood or something? And I remember I was like, extra money. Okay. <laughs> Mario actually agreed to money. So I, I was in the six man. I didn't have any gear. I didn't come prepared, borrowed this, borrowed that mask trunks. Didn't even have any boots. It was bull bull. I was with, I don't even know who I was with. Uh, and it was against the, I think I was tagging with Zip and Zap, the Equalizers, who later Mike Jones, who became a public enemy, who was Johnny Grunge, yep. I believe. And yep. against, I think it was Rusty Brooks and Tommy Angel, and I'm not Tommy, uh, Tommy Dreamer, Rusty Brooks, and somebody. And I got, I was a total job guy. I got, and I was like, dude, they're, they're, they're just, I came in because they just needed someone to, they want to keep everyone strong, want to keep the Equalizer strong, want to keep Tommy Dreamer strong. So I, had, I, I went under, counted the lights. I do remember that uh, first night in the Bahamas and I stayed up all night, you know, fraternizing. So it was cool. But here's another thing. Here's from that one trip. I remember we're checking out 
we go and we are at the, we're at the airport and here comes Buddy Landell. And I was like, I was like, oh, this Buddy, you know, I was like, he's on the show. I didn't see him last night. Did you? No, oh, I didn't. No. And what happened was Buddy Landell was in the hotel. He showed up. He was there. He was in the hotel, but he no showed the show. <laughs> I was like, what? And, and I remember Tom, Tommy's Tom Savoldi. It looks like Jerry Lewis, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Tom Savoldi's like, where the hell are you? I'm trying to, I'm, I'm mimicking Tom, Tom Savoldi. And he says, where the hell were you? And I was like, brother. And, 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 and I've, I've worked with Buddy a lot of times. And I was like, well, brother, you know, uh, uh, maid came in my room and I, I thought she stole something. I was starting to panic. I thought I was having a heart attack and all that. And I was like, I'm like, I know what you're having a heart attack. Tom. I know why your heart's racing, pal. But he didn't get it. And, and and they told him that, you know, that I don't know how you're getting home. So they, they were going to leave him there because he no-showed him. And I don't blame him. I made Buddy rest in peace, too. And another story about Buddy. We were in uh, – this was the night, I believe it was the day the Redskins beat the, my, my Washington Redskins, by the way, which you see all around me. Redskins played Buffalo in the 91 Super Bowl. It was in January, February of 92. And I remember we were in Aguadilla, and I was Murdoch, uh, Ronnie Garvin, Slater, Buddy Landell. I'm just saying all the local guys you may remember. And I remember, you know, Ronnie brought his plane down there. So the office, like Buddy and – I mean, not Buddy, but uh, Murdoch and Garvin and Carlos, they're all flying. Well, we're the we're the crew, so we get in the van, and we're driving home. We, we stole some uh, medallia. So we're drinking beer on the way back, and we got to stop like every – like. 20 or 30 minutes, you guys got to, you know, urinate. And I remember we stopped, we go out, we stop, go out. And next thing you know, there's all these, there's these cars following us. We're like, what the heck? And then there's, next thing you know, we're on like an auto pizza, like an interstate. And there's cars coming and like, then lights come on. And we're like, oh man, what is going on? And so we're, we're outside the van and Buddy's urinating and they all so they all come up, lights, everything, badges, and Buddy to, turns around, hands up with everything else out. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Whoa, whoa. He's just hanging, you know? And uh, it was like what had happened was there was a, like a bank robbery, and people got a, left in a van identical to us with a bunch of gringos, maticones, and uh, they thought we were the guys. We said, uh, Lucha Libre, Capital Sports. Oh, okay. Carlos Colon. Oh, go. No problem. Sorry. We left. That's another wow. buddy. Else. The buddy Landell almost got us all arrested for urinating on the side of the road. <laughs> That's a great story. Um, while you were over there, or while we're working the Sabaldis, did you work with either Gino Caruso or Guido before he was Guido? Maybe James Stone? Little Guido, yeah. Who uh, he did he later become one of the FBI's? Yes, yeah. He was a he started in as a James Stone, I believe, uh, maybe the Damian Stone at one point in uh, for the Savolis, and then eventually went to ECW and became uh, Little Guido. Little Guido, great guy, love him. Yeah, uh, I remember we did a show. Um, I'd already retired, and I was working in NASCAR, uh, NASCAR TV. And ECW came. I remember 
I remember I cut no first time they came around, I was covering a South Carolina football game and they were in Rock Hill, South Carolina at the Winthrop Coliseum where I remember doing a show and my car got wrecked and the promoter didn't have enough money. Curtis Thompson and two cold Scorpio, Jackie Fulton and Curtis Thompson took all the money for the, the rest of the guys were supposed to get, but they, they didn't take it all. Right. They just got their cut. And it's like, and I remember I went, I saw, stopped in, saw balls and, and, Dreamer and all the guys that I knew, Taz, and we and I went and covered my game. They said, "Why don't you stay?" I said, "No, I got to make money. I was making, I'm making good money covering football games at the time, way more, way more." And I was making uh, wrestling and doing appearances, so I did that. But they said they came back and they were going to Concord, North Carolina, and then Raleigh. Those I lived in Concord at the time, so I came, did the show, and I had uh, I was on Sporting News Radio with uh, God, what's his name? Uh, escapes me. Good got good friend of wrestling. He had us on from the locker room. Uh, me and, uh, and and Tommy Dreamer and Taz. He had us all on the on the show. And Paul Paul E at the time, Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman. He liked the fact that he knew I knew most of the boys, and I had never met him before in person. And he liked me. He said, "Hey, what are you doing tomorrow night?" I said, uh, "Depends." He says, "I'd like to work for me tomorrow." And I said, "Sure." You want to ring announce? I said, "Whatever, man. I can do anything. Walk out, manage whatever. Just pay me." He says, "Not a problem." And then I remember working with the ECW guys. And I remember Guido coming up to me and he's like, man, I remember you from ECW, man. He's put me over. You see, that's the respect that here's a guy who was a young guy at ICW. I was main event with some of the, with the babies at the time, but he remembered me and he showed he came up in that locker room because I came in and half these guys don't know who I am. And they, they, and I'm just showing my respect to them. And here comes Guido. He comes up to me and he's showing me respect. And I'm like, dude, you're 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 in one of the top angles here, man. You're and I appreciate you coming up and putting me over when you're one of their guys. And and I, and I appreciate that. I think who was on top, Taz and, and RVD and some of those guys were on top. And I knew Taz from way back because Taz told me, he says, You need to wear a golf shirt now. He said, You got the club, man. You need the golf, you need the full look. He said, I was okay, Taz, I got you. And I did. And business yeah. picked for me. So I, I owe him that. But Guido, super guy, love Guido. And I, and I wish him well. I hope he's doing great wherever he is. I got nothing but respect and high praise for him. I read somewhere. Did you do some work for the AWA? I, uh, yeah, uh, briefly. And I mean, yeah. briefly. I remember, I, uh, I remember I was, uh, in February of 1990, I was, uh, I was, I did it on my, my, Friends from college, girl on the volleyball team. She transferred to Wisconsin, uh, Eau Claire. And I was like, okay. I said, hey, why don't you come up here? And I said, well, why don't I just see if I can get booked? Yeah. So I contacted the I contacted the AWA office. I somehow got to Greg Gagne. And, got, and I called to say, Greg, I told him who I was, where I worked. And I said, all right, come Wednesday to, to the office on Wazada Boulevard. I've never been to Minneapolis ever in my life. And the girl I was going to see, she had a car. She says, oh, well, you can borrow my car. Okay. So I'm old days before phones. I got a map, <laughs> got a map, the, the road atlas. And I'm like, where is this? And I don't know where I'm going. I'm late for the meeting. I finally get there. And I was like, he said, hey, you're late. I said, I said, man, I'm not from here. Uh, I've never been here before. I don't know the roads. He said, all right, all right. We got, uh, I got your pictures and everything. I'll talk to you. Here's what we'll do. Show up at TV Saturday in Rochester, Minnesota. We'll do some interviews. We'll maybe make you be the manager coming in, looking for new talent, and we'll go from there. Sure. 
borrowed the girl's car. We went, I show up to the building. I'm in the building and uh, I go to the back like I normally do. And I see, you know, Ox Baker, who I met in the ICW. Yep. Baron Von Rasky, who borrowed one of my big razors. I see Adam Baum, who was then known as the Night Stalker. Night Stalker, yeah. I mean, there's Wayne Bloom, there's Mike Enos, there's Tommy Jammer, a bunch of these ADW, Jake the Millman, uh, Tom Rocky Stone, all these guys I'd seen because they were on ESPN at the time. And, you know, and I know all, I know half these guys because I've been on show Nikita Koloff, who lives three blocks from me right now. Oh, Nick, wow. Nick, Nick was there. Sal Corrente, referee, who I really don't have much respect for, but I hate to bury the guy. But um, he was there. To, great referee. Sal was one of the best referees of all time. So and I'm in the back. I'm just, I'm like I said, I said hello and I sat in the back. I'm real, I'm in a corner, you know, I'm just listening. And Vern Gagne walks through and I'm, and he's like, and he comes over to me, come here. Who are you? Well, I'm, get out. I didn't even get a chance to answer. I said, well, uh, yeah, uh, get out. He, he hooked me. I'm like, what am I going to do to Vern Gagne? I mean, he's an Olympian. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. get your shit and get the hell out of here. And I was like, dude, I'm like, he said, well, all right, all right, all right, all right. Wait here. I'm going to talk to Greg. Greg comes out. All right, look, Vern's a little, Vern's on edge. This is, they're losing money every day. And so he's on, he, and he didn't say that, but I knew that. And so Greg's like, look, we'll uh, just, just hang here and I'll, I'll take care of everything. Here's what we're going to do. Once you come back, meet with Eric, we'll, we'll have some, do some interviews with you after the show. Oh, okay. Remember, and I did a couple of uh, interviews with Eric Bischoff, who got my name wrong on the first one. And then on the second promo, I shot on him for doing my saying my name wrong on the first one. And so I don't think I, he really liked me after that. Maybe that had something to do with why he didn't use me in WCW. I don't know. I don't want to flatter myself. But, but at, a, at a dark match, when Chuck Smith, Helmut Hessler, got a dark match, I went with him. Greg Gagne was in the back in 90s three-ish i want to say yeah. and uh we, we talked hey sorry about all that you know it's a lot of different time things are different now i'll see if i can uh, uh bring you in you know i know who you are and all that other stuff and and never never materialized greg was gone and uh, by the next couple of years i was out of the business and working in radio full-time but yeah that, that was my awa experience uh very short-lived i mean at that time period you were there that like you said, they were hemorrhaging money. They were just losing it, and uh, they went out of business shortly after, I think, probably. Yeah, the next year, they went out. Yeah. And I didn't feel bad. I mean, I still had a TV show in Virginia I was on uh, with the Virginia Wrestling Association. I told the story. I mean, I, that's yeah. what happened. And uh, I was disappointed because I thought I could have do They didn't really have – they were losing money. They didn't have a, that great of a product, and they I, I could have helped them. and But they didn't. They went out of business. Uh, I think I could have helped him. Didn't say I could have saved him. Uh, Who's my buddy? Mick Karch was like, he said, he said, you couldn't, uh, he said, that was a Titanic, bro. It was going down. And um, so it is what it is. And uh, I would have liked to have had more of an opportunity there, but I would have liked it a lot earlier when, when, while they had some, uh, some time to go. You just mentioned Mick. Uh, He's going to be a guest here pretty soon. We're just uh, trying to sit down a date. So. He's a legend, man. I, I got yeah. much respect for Mick. Mick Karch is so connected with the AWA. There's, he's like the encyclopedia, and you feel free to play this back for me. He's an encyclopedia of the AWA. He's a Minnesota guy. 
Uh, I still do some uh, work with a company up there. So I'm up there, you know, every once or twice a year. Guys like uh, ODB, Mick, uh, a lot of those Minnesota. It's just amazing how many guys came from Minnesota, were trained by Vern Gagne, or were from Robbinsdale, Bloomington, and that whole Minnesota, the, the the Twin Cities. There were so many guys that came out of that area. Absolutely. It's unbelievable how many guys were trained and or performed through that area. And Mick knows everything about everything in the AWA. And Ed, Mick's a good guy. I think he's doing something with an AWA reunion of sorts. Yep. Uh, I, I, I hope he does very well. He's a tremendous guy. And I know if he's involved in something, it's a legit uh, above board situation. Uh, have you checked out his AWA podcast? No, I have not uh, looked into that yet. Uh, you know, it's it's tough for me now. This time of year, I'm covering the Carolina Panthers, uh, plus doing my full time job. So I'm 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 stretched thin. It's a it's a night off for me tonight. So I'm uh, I'm relaxing doing your show. Uh, did another hit for another podcast for a uh, Panthers podcast. Uh, big news: uh, they Christian McCaffrey got traded from Carolina to San Francisco. So we've been we've been real busy, and I've been doing some hits for some uh, other uh, other people. So. Uh, I haven't done mixed podcasts. I'm welcome to them. tell them I'm available. I do it for me. I don't do it. For, I don't work. I don't go for everyone's show. I really kind of know who they are. I kind of knew, found out who you were. You're legit. Uh, you're the real, as the, the shaky baby would say, you're the real, not the jabroni, <laughs> but Mick is the real and guys like him. Uh, I got, I make time for, uh, Mick's a super guy. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyways, is there anything else that you'd like to say before we get out of here? No, I'm, I appreciate being on here and uh, having you. You know, feel free to contact me uh, in the future if we can work something out. And uh, if you, and if you talk to promoters, I am available uh, for play-by-play, uh, color commentating, managing. That costs more because I'm. If you want anything physical in ring, I'll, I will do that. But I'm still. Hey, I'm still in good shape. I still go to the gym. I'm in better shape now than I probably was 20, 30 years ago. My doctor even said I'm. Look, my stats, my blood, uh, everything. My, on my charts, they say I'm, I'm actually 20 years younger than I actually am. So I'm, I'm in great, great shape, ready, ready to work, ready to make some money, ready to help uh, other people make money in the wrestling business. Uh, so for our listeners, where could everybody find you? Uh, well, I have my I'm Kevin The Truth Casey, K-E-V-E-N, The Truth Casey on Facebook. Kevin The Truth Casey spelled the same way on Instagram. Kevin Casey Truth on Twitter. Uh, I'm on TikTok. Uh, you know, I, I'm on ADSN. I cover the Carolina Panthers for Sirius XM NFL radio and CBS sports radio. Every time the Panthers are at home, you can hear me covering their games on those national radio networks. Kevin, I want to thank you for coming on and doing this and discussing your professional wrestling career. I've learned a lot today and hopefully, you know, our listeners have uh, discovered a lot more and uh, they'll look you up if they haven't already heard of you. Well, that and a dollar will get you something up there in Connecticut, but uh, not much else. But I appreciate you having me, and I wish you well with the promotion and with the podcast. Thank you very much.